from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life, a conversation in which we explore everything related to work and the rest of your life, your family, your community, our society, that broken world that we're here to help to heal somehow, and your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. So glad you're here joining us. I am your host, Stu Friedman. I'm the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and the Wharton Leadership Program. Both started over 30 years ago. Wow. I mean, just wow in the sense that that's, I'm that old. Uh, but yeah, we've been doing this for a long time. And for the, the we're in our ninth year of this radio show, which um, gives us an opportunity to to um, to hear and amplify the voices of people who are trying to make the world better uh, through all kinds of uh, efforts and organizations and beyond. Um, I now run a management consulting and training company. It's called Total Leadership, which came out of my research here in the in the nineties. If you visit totalleadership.org, you can find information on what we do. Uh, there's lots of free stuff there, um, video, audio, text, um, and there are a number of courses now available online about this, this model for improving performance in all the different parts of life by finding greater harmony, by creating greater harmony among them as a leader in all the parts of your life. It can be done. Check it out, totalleadership.org. You can hear new episodes of this show every Monday at noon Eastern time on Sirius XM channel 132. And you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business. I am at Stu Friedman. Well, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know that this year I've been asking most of my guests a question at the end of each interview about climate change and what we can do to stop the destruction of our planet. I remember the first Earth Day um, and uh, in New York City when I was living there at the time. And this is an issue that is now top of mind for so many of us uh, and needs to be more so. Today's guest, I'm thrilled to uh, introduce, has written a great book about women who are walking the walk on this issue. Diana Cap is the author of Girls Who Green the World, 34 Rebel Women Out to Save Our Planet. Diana, welcome to Work and Life. Hi, Stu. I'm really happy to be here talking to you. Well, before we begin our conversation, let me give listeners a bit of background about you. Diana is a journalist and author whose work has taken her inside San Quentin prison and to deepest Afghanistan. She's covered teen suicide clusters in Palo Alto, apps and bots to fight depression. And her father felt headlong in love at 85. Yep. I, th I think we're going to have to start with that, but let me just finish my introduction here. Um, she's also worked for a senator and a biotech startup, made ads for Nike, and helped launch women's sportswear retailer, Lucy. She's got an MBA from Stanford, loves the Sawtooth Mountains, Neil Young. That's a common passion we have. Her 5 a.m. running club. Still doing that, Diana? All right. And, um, and climbing mountains. She's also a wannabe rancher, which I'm curious to know much more about. 
Diana, um, can you tell us about your father falling in love at 85? So that story is probably the best story I've ever written because it came from such a deep passion place in my heart and just poured out of me. Hmm. I was so despondent to have lost my mom um, about three years ago. And I, it was never supposed to happen that way. My dad was always supposed to die first because he was so dependent on my mom. And I worried so much about him. And just about nine months after my mom died, he was out with some friends um, at a play and he met a woman who joined them for dinner afterward. And the two of them both said to each other, they'd both lost their spouses and Mm -hmm. said, the one thing I just can't deal with is eating alone. Mm -hmm. And so my dad said, well, let's have dinner then. And he ended up with just a fantastic second chapter, very unexpected. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's just, she's just amazing. And they're, it's just very hopeful to me to see someone. It doesn't take anything away from a 60 year marriage to my mom, Mm -hmm. but it, it really feels to me so alive to try to reconnect with someone new and, and they're just great together. So it's very happy. Well, um, thank you for sharing that story. And I see a connection between that and girls who green the world. Maybe you see a different one, but the, um, the theme of hope, uh, despite, you know, great loss and sorrow, uh, is, is a common one to both your father's story, story yeah. as I hear it. And, yep. and what you've done to write about these 34 remarkable women who, um, you know, facing, a, a, a terrible time in, in human history, our own self-induced destruction of our habitat, they um they are you know ignited with a sense of hope and and being able to do something about that so so let's get into that you you've um you've had a deep um called spiritual religious connection to the natural world from the early ages you described um your your parents took you on hikes uh through the sierra club which i've been long 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 a member of um Ultimately, though, it was your children who helped you to feel the urgency of, of climate change that inspired this book. So your, your own journey is a really wonderful ca- encapsulation of the, the ancient imperative for us to be stewards of our home, our earth, the flora, the fauna, the world that surrounds us. So Tell us about how you got from Girls Who Run the World, your fabulous earlier work, to to this one, Girls Who Green the World. So Girls Who Run the World, which came out in 2019, was an effort to spotlight women making change in the world, modern pioneers, I call them, and to provide more role models for young women particularly, but really could be for anyone Um, Because I still believe that we have a very serious problem in terms of how young girls see what's possible for them. And that became really apparent to me because I, at the time that I was thinking about that book, I had a 12 year old daughter who I always say she popped out of me with her hands on her hips, issuing orders. She's an extremely powerful 
being and with a lot of charisma and she's really a born leader. And I wondered what would happen to her. Um, so that got a, me thinking about a two-year-old granddaughter who is very similar, similar. She always makes us play school and then she would make herself the, the principal and you couldn't leave. And there was always lots of rules, but as she grew up and her, and her older siblings, I have three kids. So I have two in their twenties and she's now 16. And as she grew up, the issue that really became so dominant in our household and at our dinner table and just my observation of what was um, causing anxiety, anger, and a lot of really profound sadness um, was how our generation, us adults, were just continuing with business as normal and not taking seriously the urgency of what's happening to our planet. And these kids feel that their future is totally screwed and they're, they're really scared about it. And I started um, learning more about how youth in general are feeling about the climate and this whole issue of climate anxiety is a very new and very real phenomenon that psychiatrists are seeing increase in prevalence. I I've written about this actually for a publication called Mindsight News. And one of the studies I came across was one in the Lancet, which came out in 2021. They surveyed 10,000 teenagers around the world and 56% agreed with the sentiment, humanity is doomed. And four out of 10 said that they would consider not having kids out of fear for what was happening to the planet and what kind of planet they would leave their kids. Mm-hmm. So when I started hearing that and thinking about what a negative narrative has overtaken the conversation about climate it it doesn't leave you in a mode to take action and feel a sense of let me be a change maker let me you know get started doing the hard work it makes you feel this is inevitable i feel paralyzed this is too big and a sense of overwhelm is kind yeah, of just there's a, there's a despondency and uh, helplessness that too many people feel so so that how did that ignite you so that that really is the absolute um, that's like the starter, the starter fuel for this book is that idea of let's get back to hope, because there are a lot of really incredibly positive changes out there happening in the world, really inventive, creative people that are um trying experiments. They're taking bold action. Not everything that is happening, not everything that's in the book is going to work, but you have to be out there doing the experiments. And that's what's drive, that's what will drive innovation and bring the prices down for make things realistic. And I opened the book with a story, which I really want people to know. And it is a story of hope. And it's the story of a scientist named Susan Solomon. And in the mid 80s, she's an atmospheric chemist. And she was at a meeting in Boulder of atmospheric scientists who were concerned about the ozone hole. And at that time, ozone hole was talked about with as much fear and panic as we talk about climate change. 
you know, we all thought we're going to fry, the cancer rates are going to soar because the, this layer that protects us from the sun's most harmful rays had a big hole in it. So Susan went down to Antarctica and she did this fundamental science and her theories were not taken seriously. She was the only woman in the room when she volunteered to do the work in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. But when she found chlorine dioxide levels 100 times normal, she sounded the alarm and it was heard around the world. And that pr- produced the Montreal Protocol, which is the only time in history that every nation on Earth has signed on. And we banned, successfully banned chlorofluorocarbons, CFCs. And it's just a great story of science and government action and, you know, coming together as a planet where it worked. And so I want people to know that we have done that before. It, it, yes. It's and, obviously a simpler story and, than and where we have to now. Let, let me jump in here and just remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. My guest today is Diana Cap, who's the author of a just-released book. It's called Girls Who Green the World, 34 Rebel Women Out to Save Our Planet. It can be done. And your opening salvo in the story of uh, Susan Solomon. Susan Solomon. Solomon, yes. Uh, and how... Looking at the world as it is and declaring uh, it's uh, it's, you know, the the present reality without fog or fakeness uh, is 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 what we have to do in order to be able to open up our minds to pathways of of, of possibilities of experimentation. Um, and that's that's what the 34 people that you've profiled here have are trying to do right now. Um, so let's, let's talk about some of them. Uh, I have to say that, um, you know, when I heard about your book, I thought, okay, it's going to be Greta Thunberg and that's what we're going to be reading about. But there's of course, so many other people, um, uh, who are, who are doing work that, you know, most of these projects I was not aware of, and that's probably going to be true for many of the people who pick up, pick up this book. How did you find these people? Well, it was definitely intentional to choose people that are a little bit more under the radar. I I didn't even attempt to include Greta Thunberg because we all know her. We know her amazing work. But what I the point I'm sort of making is there's all these other people out there um, that you don't know about that are doing things that are really important and really energizing and necessary. Um, so one of the best ways that I found these women was by going to some social impact venture funds mm-hmm. that are in the Bay Area, and some of them are run by people that I'm close to. Um, and they so they're seed funding some of these most innovative ideas. And I would ask them who's in your portfolio that's really interesting. So that was a great way. And I did that through um, Mm -hmm. Draper Richards Kaplan and through the Emerson Collective. And then the, the other thing that I've learned to do as a journalist is I always ask the women that I interview who else they would choose to put in a book if they were me writing this kind of book. Snowballing. That's always great. And then they, they make an introduction, which makes it a lot easier to get to these women quickly. And, and then just, you know, doing my normal Googling 
like crazy and finding lists like the grist list and seeing who wins the Goldman environmental prize. And, you know, you sort of get into the category and you learn um, what are the, um, you know, the really important organizations that are identifying the leaders and change makers and then go after them. You, you have very helpfully organized uh, these remarkable stories uh, according to a set of uh, themes which I will now list, and there's a, dozen, a half a dozen of them, seven or eight, and um, and I'd I'd like to just go through them with perhaps a, as many of them as we can fit into our time together. Hearing about an exemplar uh, from these different uh, and, and important and related themes, which are also brought to life with with uh, d- delightful bits of information from each of these people. Personally, so it really does come alive as a story of real people in the real world making real change. Um, <clears throat> so, Toxic Meet Moxie, What a Waste, It's Raining Plastic, Fight Club, Screw Fossil Fuels, The Technovators, and Food Fight. There's uh, a few in each of these important categories. Let's start with the top one. What is Toxic Meat Moxie all about? And tell us about one of the people who you profile in that category of action. Sure. So Toxic Meat, well, Moxie is a word that I sort of discovered and started using a lot with girls who run the world because people would always ask me, what is the one quality that ties all of these um, female CEOs and entrepreneurs together? And it's Moxie, Mm -hmm. which is just incredible boldness, willingness to keep going, even when people tell you no. Mm -hmm. And the toxic meets moxie is basically, they're mostly citizen scientists or people that are working to clean up um, environmental waste and hazards. And it's one of the most fundamental issues of of environmental injustice is these kind of toxins that are in communities where um, that largely impact low-income people and people of color. And one of the most interesting people I met is uh, Catherine Coleman Flowers. Mm -hmm. And she has her own book out, which is called Waste. And she actually just won a MacArthur Genius Prize. She's an older woman who lives in rural Alabama on um, on the route between Selma and Montgomery, And she grew up with parents that were very involved in civil rights. And she used to have Stokely Carmichael in her living room and other Panthers. And what she learned going on in this very poor community in her kind of backyard is that wastewater treatment is not something that all homes can just depend on. And some of these homes are too rural or they fall out of incorporated areas So these families have no access to to their water being treated and the waste from their toilets is just pouring out into their yards. And what she in America in in America, and I also learned it's not just in Alabama. She said there's a number of communities Mm -hmm. in America where this is happening. And what she saw is one day she read a an editorial by a Baylor 
university researcher, and it was talking about the return of these tropical diseases like ringworm that we've only, that we're used to only seeing in the developing world, but that they're now being found in America. And she discovered that that was something that was plaguing her community. And so she brought the Baylor people down and they actually tested a lot of people and um, it was denied that whole Um, finding was denied by the Alabama health department. And so she's really focused now on bringing economic development to the area. And she's actually works with Brian Stevenson um, and his equal justice initiative. So she's just a very interesting woman who kind of took on a problem very personal to her and took it quite far. Uh, I'm betting that most of the people that you've profiled here had some deeply personal connection to the causes that they are fighting for. Um, and and uh, her story is, is a particularly powerful one. Let, let's, uh, before we have to take a, just a short break, hear an example, if you will, from the What a Waste category. Uh, tell us about... I'm going to tell you about Caitlin Magenthal because I just spent a few days with her in Chicago. She's from Winnetka and she, she was a student at USC when she watched her good friend juice a single carrot. And she said about three drops of liquid came out. And then she watched her dump all the byproduct from the carrot in the trash can. And she had just been spending time as an intern in a community gardening project where kids from Title I schools were um, growing food and some of them were eating a fresh tomato or carrot for the very first time. And so she had that in her head when she saw this waste being thrown away and she just couldn't believe that um, all this important fiber and these vitamins and nutrients were being tossed. So literally the next week, she called up 10 juiceries around the Los Angeles area, which wasn't hard to find. And she (laughs) got a big bin from Target and she had them slopping around in the back seat of her car, these kind of mushy, wet, leftover carrots and kale and other things from juiceries. And she then just started experimenting in her kitchen with what might she make. And she, she ends up drying it out and making a flower out of it. And now her first product is called um, pulp chips and her company is called pulp pantry. She's actually going to be on this Friday night. She's going to be on shark tank. Um, And she, she went in the target Target's first incubator, um, she was chosen, and that's how she really got her brand off the ground. And then she's Target took her into their stores. So she's in Whole Foods and Target and other places on the West Coast. But she was telling me about some of these other really cool byproduct streams that she's going to go after, like McDonald's making apple slices for their Happy Meals, then throws away 40% of the apple. Oh, my gosh. That's got to be billions of pounds of apples. Billions of pounds. And then also the people who make baby carrots, those are cut out of you know, a single carrot makes usually three baby carrots, but think about all that excess that is remains. So okay, I'm thinking about it now, what should I do? So now just think about how crazy that is because you could, the way we make a lot of cereals and many foods are corn based, 
but they could be, they could just as easily be carrot based. So she's the next thing she's working on is cereal. Will there be a jalapeno cereal? I wonder. I'm, I see that there are jalapeno pulp chips. Yeah, her chips are jalapeno lime and barbecue. They're they're great. They're really really tasty. This I was seems surprised. like so obvious. It does. Uh, I a, agree. A, a solution, and those are the best ones, right? Where you realize after the fact. Well, of course, of course, of course. Uh, that's a remarkable tale. So. Um, Tell us about another one uh, on this theme, because uh, I just love the idea of making the best use of our beautiful, uh, unimaginably wondrous earth that we share. Uh, Well, here's one that I love. Um, A woman named Kayla Abe, um, and she actually went to the same high school as my kids, I've learned. And she was working at the farmer's market in San Francisco. And so she was getting to know a lot of farmers. And she learned that one of the biggest problems that plagues them is that their produce that they grow doesn't meet grocery store standards because there's sort of, you know, we have tight beauty standards in our grocery stores for what, what a cucumber can look like. And if it has a little bit of yellow on it, it doesn't pass muster. I understand. I used to work in a supermarket when I was in high school in the produce section, and I was uh, very familiar with that issue. Um, Please continue. So she, her first company was called Ugly Pickle. And so she was taking ugly produce and giving it a new life. And over time, she and her husband who do this together, they've gotten so into the issue that they just opened in the Mission District in San Francisco, a restaurant called Shuggie's Trash Pies. And it's pizza made entirely from ugly produce and also from cuttings of meat that we don't eat in the United States or from the belly of salmon, which is also typically thrown away, but in other cultures is you know, considered a delicacy. Mm-hmm. And their whole restaurant, which opened about 10 days ago, is um, they thrifted everything, they upcycled it, they painted and recovered the furniture. And it's it's a really cool um, statement piece about how we can use waste. All right. Um, it's like an homage pie. to food waste. Food waste and uh, using it more intelligently. I will be in San Francisco in a couple of weeks. I'm going to Shuggies. Let's take a moment here to take a short break. Don't go away. When we come back, I'm going to be continuing my conversation with Diana Cap about her book and the wonderful people in it, Girls Who Green the World. I'm Stu Friedman. This is Working Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Hey, welcome back to Work and Life. This is Stu Friedman, your host. I uh, run a a management consulting and training company. It's called TotalLeadership.org. We are dedicated to helping people and organizations find creative ways of um, cultivating harmony among the different parts of life to improve performance in all of them. That's right. Yes, it can be done. It is being done. Find out more at TotalLeadership.org. My guest today is Diana Cap, who's a journalist, author, an aspiring rancher. We're going to be talking, continuing our conversation about her new book, Girls Who Green the World, 34 Rebel Women Out to Save Our Planet. And there are more, but these are just uh, 
the exemplars that um, that Diana was able to to find and write about and talk to. She talked to every one of these people. Um, let's keep going because I'm keen to hear more of these stories, and I, I assume our listeners are as well. What is what does it mean to be raining plastic? I think we can probably figure that out. But who's doing something about that that you want to tell us about now, Diana? Well, first, we have to talk about the fact that it is literally raining plastic. They did Actually a study falling in, from the sky. They, they studied rain from in 11 national parks in the United States, and they actually found plastic in most of them. Um, so who's doing something about that? A lot of cool people. It's even hard to pick one in this category, but I'll tell you there's women that are making swimsuits out of plastic bottles. There's a woman that's making um, glitter out of eucalyptus leaves instead of plastic. Tell and us about case- Sarah Paji because I uh, I've recently become aware of Blue Land and I'm really interested in that story and, and how she's doing it. Yeah. So she's, she's a second time entrepreneur with Blue Land. She had a company when she was in business school at Harvard. She's, um, she started thinking about what was in household products, all the plastic she was carrying up the, to her third floor walk up in New York city. So she had these huge jugs and she figured out that there's so much water in all our household cleansers that it makes no sense that we're carrying around these heavy loads and using all this single use plastic. So she figured out how to um, turn laundry detergent and household soaps into tablet form. And they're about the size of a Mento. And now she sends you, you know, your one single use plastic and then you, you know, you're in kind of subscription service, I think to, to get your tablets that you dissolve in water. So all of that plastic that's being used to carry all that water to the supermarket and into your home, don't eat it, don't have to use it, just refill the same jug with these little pills and you got the same, you got the same solution, uh, no pun intended there, to your problem of how to clean your house. That makes so much sense. It does, it does. And So is, is it working? Yeah. I mean, she's, she just signed a deal last week with um, Gwyneth Paltrow, which I know was like a big dream of hers because she's a celebrity name in the green space. And it brings a lot of attention to your brand and um, she's quite savvy and she's raised a lot of money. And I think it's, I think it's going quite well. Well, that's going to help reduce the plastic content in our freaking rain (laughs) see despondency 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 (laughs) and a glimmer of hope a glimmer of hope through the energy and initiative of these remarkable people what's let let me tell you about one other there's there's a pair of biologists at university of michigan they graduated with phds last year go blue Uh, i'm an alum okay me me too i went to the university of michigan for my undergrad well, I was there as a PhD student way before you, early 80s. 
<laughs> so um, they are both African-American and wear their hair in um, cornrow braids. And one night they were at a conference, they were assigned roommates lying in the dark in their bunk bed. And they were talking instead of about conservation, about how much their heads itched and burned. And a lot of hair extensions that you braid in are made with plastic. So they thought about other fibers that they might use, and they actually are using an invasive weed called Phragmite, which grows around Ann Arbor and is destroying property values because it like grows out and drives out all the other vegetation. And so that's a pretty cool idea, I think. Wow. Um that that is remarkable um and not surprising that janice uh is oddly good at crochet i suppose um, <laughs> uh, which i did i discovered only by reading the first page of the chapter about these two remarkable women um all right so 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 fight club what's fight club all about so those are activists um Using all different kinds of activism, like the Sunrise Movement, which is the largest youth movement um, focused on political activism, and that's Farshini Prakash. But a sort of more unexpected one is a woman named, she has a stage name. She calls herself Marina Debris. And she picks up everything off the beach in Sydney, Australia. And she created this art installation called an inconvenience store. And everything in this pop-up shop that she creates as an exhibit is something that she found on the beach. And she sets it up like a store. So there's like, she finds the rack of sunglasses and then it's filled with broken sunglasses. And each thing is in a package with a clever name, like the straws, are packaged and say straws, they really suck. And there's, you know, little pieces of broken balloon and they're labeled turtle food. Mm -hmm. And it's, to me, it's just a really, really impactful, clever way to look at all the trash that we're putting everywhere. And she was telling me some of the things she finds, like she's found, um, she finds dentures all the time. And she even found like a part of a leg once, uh, like a, what mm-hmm. let's, like stop an at, let's stop at dentures hang on um <laughs> dentures at coogee beach in sydney yeah floating around in the water i guess if you're swimming and right yeah, I, I could see that oh and then it comes to shore so what does she what does she do with dentures i wonder i mean she doesn't she's not trying to like process all this stuff she's trying to make art out of it to make a point she also runs trashing shows so she she'll make like these really high fashion clothes out of styrofoam or caution tape what what is it that you love about her story i just love that she's making a point about how much waste we leave behind um, and she's doing that in a really clever way. That's very attention getting. And mm-hmm. so like, I look at that inconvenience store and I think about convenience stores specifically as someplace where we spend a lot of money and always buying totally needless things that mostly end up in landfill. Hmm. So it raises our consciousness, this art. 
this activist art uh, to to be more mindful of the consumer choices we make. I mean, a lot of this is is about our consumerism and and our need for or our our conditioned uh, you know compulsion for easy fast uh, at the expense of um, uh, all aspects of environment of our environment. This work helps us to pause and think again before um just picking up the most convenient or the easiest thing and and to to think about the downstream impact of those choices wow marina debris <laughs> d-e-b-r-i-s um screw fossil fuels <laughs> there's probably a lot of people that you found doing work in this arena uh who, who tell us about one or two of them so Lynn Jurek is a, she's actually a neighbor lives in um, San Francisco. She, she went to the Stanford business school. And when she was, when she first came out of school, she was working in um, finance and some kind of swank job where she said she flew around in private jets and did deals. And um, she started feeling very soulless and empty and wanted to do something that mattered for the planet. So she said the next thing she knew, she finds herself at state fairs, sitting behind like a janky table, calling out to people, how much do you pay for your electricity bill? And she was selling solar panels and she had kind of a new twist on it, which was to rent these systems out over a 20, you'd pay for it over a 20 year period. Hmm. And so in 2007, Sunrun, her company put its first set of solar panels on a rooftop and they've now done 600,000 solar rooftops. But even with that, that's just solar just represents 2% of all of America's power use. So we have a lot of opportunity in solar. So she's really interesting. And then another person who I had never heard of. Hang on. Before we uh, hear about her, let me ask uh, for your attention, folks. This is Work in Life. I want to remind you, it's Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm speaking with Diana Cap about her wonderful book filled with compelling stories of people who are trying to do good in the world and making it happen. It's girls who green the world, 34 rebel women out to save our planet. Tell us more, Diana. So a woman that I had never heard of, but it seems like we all should know is Mary Ann Hitt. And she, she's now changed jobs. She was at the, where she did all the work that's in the book is at the beyond coal campaign, which was under the umbrella of the Sierra club but she was instrumental in preventing the opening of or um, the closing of 339 coal-fired power plants. And what I love about her story is, well, first of all, she's from coal country. So she lives in West Virginia. She grew up in Tennessee. And she, there's nothing sexy about what she does. She, the way they do this is grassroots organizing, gumming up the processes that the permitting processes, mostly for these coal plants or, you know, organizing people to make a zillion phone calls and to show up and protest. And, and it's been so, so successful. Hmm. Um, That's Marianne Hitt. 
of the Climate Imperative at Energy Innovation Policy and Technology, LLC. She's the National Director of Campaigns for the Sierra Club as well. So she's learned a lot through that organization. What about the Technovators? Uh, who are they? So they are people who are really using interesting new technology um, or trying to harness technology to solve problems. And um, I was just in Portland with Jamie Bainbridge of Bolt Threads, and she is the vice president of product development, turning mushroom roots into leather. And she's doing that in partnership with Adidas, Stella McCartney, Lululemon, and Mercedes-Benz. Those are her first partnerships. So pretty high profile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So using mushrooms as as a leather product so they the roots of the mushrooms are called mycelium and they grow in like a very tight weave and so they were first discovered as something that could be used as like packaging for wine and other things like almost like a new form of styrofoam and then when when they let that get too hard in one instance they discovered that it felt kind of like leather and that was done by a different company. And then Bolt picked it up from there. And they're trying to take this to the mass, to the mass market. Um, and where's the climate impact in that product? Well, cows are one of the worst, the worst um, things for the climate. And they produce so much methane, which is a greenhouse gas that holds heat at 30 times the rate of carbon dioxide. And they also require a lot of land to, you know, both to feed them and to, you know, for them to graze. So we're cutting down rainforests to grow soy, to feed cows, to produce more methane. And it's just a really ugly cycle. So, and then once we get the cow hide, it's full of fat and hair and it needs to have all these toxic chemicals treat it. Um, so it's, it's problematic in all kinds of ways. And this replaces that, um, there's, there's many more stories in this wonderful collection that you have brought to us, Diana, um, in the few minutes we have remaining, I want to turn your attention to what a listener could do. In addition to reading your book and being inspired by the stories therein, you know, all over the world now, we are living in a world that has changed and, you know, extreme weather events are happening everywhere. Um, And of of course, affecting more the people who had nothing to do with producing it in parts of the world where there is um, extreme poverty and no resources to fight. Uh, it, It can be overwhelming to think about to think about these problems and especially so in the context of so many other political urgent matters, uh, you know, the war in, in Ukraine and its impact on our, our, our lives and our economy, uh, the Supreme court's war on women's rights and the pending demise of Roe versus Wade, uh, the full frontal attack on the, the pillar of our democracy, being able to vote freely. What, as you, you know, I, I want to bring us home here thinking about, uh, you know, hope in the face of a, a, a terribly frightening world that you have so well described at the start of our conversation. What 
would you urge our listeners to do uh, in, to, to somehow take hold and, and to be an active agent for trying to make things better? There's two things that I've been really recommending because that's the question everyone asks. So the first one is to get politically active because these are the big levers that we have. So you have to support climate friendly candidates in the 2020 midterms. If you're a young person, you should join the Sunrise Movement. Those are existing hubs that already are bringing together youth and they have an agenda. They're looking at which candidates are in tight races and, you know, putting resources behind that. And the second piece of advice I have is just, it's, let me it's just kind of- reach up in on that because mm-hmm. I, I am myself a member of um, elders climate action being an elder. Uh, and those of us of a certain age are involved in envi- the environmental voters project and some others that are doing the same thing. Um, but it's, it's using the resources, not just an energy of the, you know, the people whose future is still before them with hopefully decades and decades of thriving. Uh, But those of us who are closer to the end, organizing and mobilizing voters to be to be to be taking action in the voting booth to ensure that our our social policies are 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 intelligent about what what needs to be done now. Um, so that's just a plug for the uh, Environmental Voter Project as a, as a sort of another initiative in the political arena. And but, even just registering voters is a very yeah. important initiative because a lot of those people come from low-income communities that are impacted by environmental issues and they'll vote pro-environment. Yes. Um, and then the other kind of just big umbrella is a message to just we all need to consume less. And it's just a big message of we just overconsume in every aspect of our lives. If you drive a big car, try to drive a smaller car. If you are doing a lot of airline travel, think about other ways that you can take vacations that are closer and that maybe you can get to by train. Um, we should be eating less meat. Um, you don't have to give it up altogether, but um I saw a statistic that if if every American ate one fewer hamburger a week, it would be equivalent to taking 10 million cars off the road as far as emissions. Mm -hmm. So it does matter. It can make an impact, even a small change. And I just think we've just gotten in a mindset of thinking that our planet has endless resources and we need to get in a mindset of Let's just each have a smaller footprint in every way we can. And, and of course, there's resistance to that, right? Uh, people want what they want, what they're accustomed to, and what's easy. Uh, what have you found to be an effective means for helping people to overcome the inertia of the status quo uh, so that they can have a different mindset and a different set of uh, actions ab- about their relationship to earth and other people on it? Well, I think people are really impacted by what people around them are doing. Mm -hmm. So in England right now, there's a big movement to um, curtail airline travel for the climate. Mm -hmm. And they're looking at the fact that people that know people that are reducing their airline travel also begin reducing their airline travel. And so I think do things publicly Um, you know, don't just put your, you know, use your plastic bags a second time inside your house, you know, maybe, um, 
do something that other people can see or talk about it. Um, and also doing, create a community around yourself of other like-minded people who want to take action, because I think there's a lot of power in just doing this um, together and, you know, making it an activity that you're also connecting with other humans. We all need that so much right now. Why is that important? Because we get energy from each other and we, I think that helps us fight sort of the anxiety and the, um, the sense of hopelessness is by seeing that others are out there taking action and it, we're doing it together. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to feel socially isolated, um, especially in these, in these times of, uh, you know, remote life um, for so many of us and to feel that sense of uh, community and um, trying to make change happen, not just on your own, can uh, enable and strengthen the resolve that it takes to persist in the face of resistance, whether it's inside of you and your own habits uh, or in trying to get other people to change um, how they think and, and how they act. Well, uh, thank you so much, Diana, for this book, for this collection of remarkable stories, which are truly inspiring um, and informative uh, in very direct and concrete ways. How can our listeners find out more about what you are doing with this work and what might be next? My website is dianacap.com. And there's a great link on there that says resources. And you can find a couple hundred ideas that I'm starting to list of things you can do if you want to take action and, you know, resources to help you learn more and also act. And um, I also have an Instagram, which is at girls who books. And I really want to build out this resource part of my website. I love the idea of just helping to promote action by making it easier for people to find their way to plugging in. Awesome. Thank you so much, Diana. Really appreciate your spending time with us. And thank you for joining us. Um, we're, we've been uh, playing music about going home this year. And uh, today we're going to hear a piece from Neil Young and Crazy Horse. It's a song called Going Home. And it seems to me it's about uh, Native American children and the mandatory boarding school they had to attend forced by the Civilization Fund Act. I see this as a creative act, this song, calling for respect for other people, for the natural world and our need to repair our relationship with it. So thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget to catch new episodes of this show on Mondays at noon Eastern. Um, thanks, Patty Hall, for putting it all together. I am Stu Friedman. You've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.